I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, good morning. So we are going to be continuing with the Mida, the character trait that we started before Pesach, but is relevant really all year long and is certainly a very important character trait that one needs in terms of developing spiritually and in Avodas Hashem and in creating a relationship with God um, that enhances our life and our connections. I just want to start with a uh, little joke that I heard over Yantav um, about three sisters, three sisters that lived together. They were elderly. The, the oldest was 106. The middle sister was 102. And the younger one was 98. Anyway, the older sister announces to the two younger ones that she's going upstairs to have a bath, the oldest sister. And she goes upstairs and she starts filling up the bathtub and she's about to put her toe in when all of a sudden she yells down to her sisters and she says, sisters, I don't remember if I was getting in the bathtub or out of the bathtub. So the sisters say, okay, we'll be up there in a minute. So sister number two, she starts going up the stairs to go and help her older sister. And she stops midway and she yells down to her younger sister, sister. She says, yeah. She goes, I don't remember if I was going up the stairs or down the stairs. So she says, oh, okay. I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there to help you in a minute. So the younger sister, who's all of 98, She says, oh, I I feel so bad for my sisters. It's just so terrible. They really, you know, they really don't have memory anymore. They've really lost it. And I, you know, Leah and Hara, knock on wood, I am so fortunate that my brain is still working properly. Anyway, the two sisters are waiting for her and they both yell, where are you? And she says, I'll be there in a minute. I just need to answer the door. Get it? Knock on wood? Right. Okay. So why am I telling you this? Because we're Baruch Hashem. We all have our memories, thank God. But the way it is with learning anything, and especially character development, is that we tend to forget, right? We get a great idea. We hear something profound. We're moved by it. We're inspired. But then it just kind of fades away. So the idea of muster, which I've said before, is that you have to go over and over the principles. And I'm telling myself this too, that reviewing is a very, very important part of the, cl- of the classes. But also at the end of every class, you know, asking yourself, what can I take away from it? Is there one thing that I can try to implement into my life, into my day, into the way that I, you know, interact with others. And this way it becomes more real. And the truth is, is we're at a very, um, we're at a very opportune time of year. 
all every day is opportune, of course, but we know that this is the time of year between Pesach and Shavuot, which is a time that is dedicated to spiritual and character growth and development. And um, it's actually uh, called, you know, we have something called Chol Hamoyen, which is the days between Pesach and the beginning of Pesach and the end days. There's days in between intermediate days that are called Chol Hamoyed, which means they're whole, they're, they're, they're um, secular or they're, what's the word whole? They're, they're not a yantiv, but they're mo'ed, meaning that they have a yantiv dick type of character to them because they're a mo'ed, meaning they're a meeting place between God and the Jewish people that's more profound and intense than other regular days. And so there's actually lots of laws about those days. You know, they're just supposed to dress up a little bit more nicely. You're not supposed to write unless you really have something that is very important for you to write. Uh, you know, you have to go to the office, you have to do business, you have to write. Some people will write with their left hand instead of their right one. Just different halachas that let you know, don't forget these are special days. And it's interesting that, there, that it's even been said that the days between Pesach and Shavuot are like a very long chol that they all have a certain festive type of character to them. And... Um, they're packed with spiritual growth because we know that this is the time of the counting of the Omer. We're counting the days. We're counting the days like a child who's excited about when their birthday is going to come or when we're excited about a vacation we're going to go on. We're counting the days as the Jewish people did when they left Egypt and they went from the 49th level, we say, of spiritual impurity a place that was so dark and as we say that if they'd stayed in Egypt for even one more moment they would have been lost to the pages of history and so this is the time of year when we're climbing out of there and we're counting 49 days on our upward journey towards Mount Sinai and we are ascending step by step day by day and we count in a way, we count the days that go by, right? We count the days that go by to focus on the pages that we've turned and the accomplishments that we've made, as opposed to looking up and saying, oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is so difficult. This mountain is so high, right? I will never get there. So I don't know if it works for you, but sometimes when I'm riding my bike and I'm going up a hill, right? I, I probably, they tell you, keep your eyes down, you know, don't look at the hill because you'll give up. So the idea, or, or they say in terms of Torah learning, you know, somebody who wants to get through all of the Torah, all of the Talmud, don't look at the pages on the right that you have yet to turn. Look at the pages on the left that you've already turned. So this is a way of giving ourselves chizuk and realizing that like we said, in the spiritual energies of the world right now, there is a, an extra lift for us to be able to focus on different midot, different character traits, and develop ourselves. And for those of you who have ever looked at this, we know that we have something called the spherot. It's very Kabbalistic. Um, and there are many, many levels to looking at it. But on a very simple level, we know that there are different midot 
that um, that these these uh, spherot represent. And every week, as we climb up towards Mount Sinai, every week focuses on a different mida. So, for example, the mida for the first week, the first seven days, was the mida of Chesed. Okay, we have. The first week is Chesed, the second week is Gevura, the third week is Tiferet. And those are called the parents. Those are the main Midot. And I'm not going to go into that in this class. Perhaps I'm going to talk more about it on a class that I'm starting on Tuesdays um, next week, God willing, for Project Inspire, which you'll be able to watch here. And I think there I'm going to go into more of the time period that we're in now and the specific Midot and also Pirkei Avot, which is something that we start studying now as well. So trying to combine a lot of different things that are going on at this time. But in the meantime, just to speak about Chesed a little bit, you know, with the pandemic, of course, that continues and Pesach once again, where, you know, we've been liberated spiritually, but... Oh boy, I went to school yesterday to teach and they told me to pack up my bags because I think they're closing down at least the English part of the private schools again today in Toronto. And I had just slept everything back because before Pesach, they told us to bring it home just in case. So I brought it all home again. Um, you know, but freedom, of course, as we understand, is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's something that goes on between our two ears. And so we always have the choice of how we're going to focus. And there's so many, I'm sure, beautiful stories of how people were resourceful and creative over Pesach and managed to see each other in one way or another. Sally just said her kids surprised her and came to her driveway and all of them saying manishtana to her and then ran home to go and eat because they were starving. There was a story last year that was just beautiful. I remember where a woman was by herself in Lakewood and the family next door to her told her, listen, we have adjoining windows between our two houses. You bring your table you know, close to the window, we'll bring our table close to the window, and you'll be at our Seder. And she said it was just incredible. But but the the icing on the cake was that she called her children up and she said, you know, you're not going to believe it, but I had Seder with the neighbors and it was beautiful. And you're not going to believe it. All the sayings that all the songs that they sang at their Seder, all of their different customs were exactly like daddy's were exactly the ones that we grew up with. She didn't realize that the family had actually called her kids and asked them to tell them what songs, what tunes, what minhagim they have. So this is connected not only to the Mita of Chesed, but it's also connected to the third Mita, which is called Tiferet, which is beauty. And it's the idea that when you do a mitzvah, you put that extra wrapping on it. You put the ribbon on it. And this story is the example of, you know, they, they made the Seder. I mean, wow, good enough, right? But the idea is going going beyond the letter of the law, going beyond. They went to find out what songs, what tunes does she, did she sing? What tunes did her husband sing? And that's the icing on the cake. That's beautifying the mitzvah, right? And this is also what 
Another thing I wanted to mention, just going back to Chesed, because Chesed is the first week that we pass through. And as you know, there's different combinations. We have Chesed and then Chesed the Gevura and Chesed the Tifera. And each one, you can find it on the, on. Uh, I'm sure you can find it. If you're not counting the Omer, you can count. You can start any time. Women generally don't say it with a bracha. They just say today is the, you know, ninth day of the Omer. Because men, it's always announced in shul on Mariv, so they're less likely to forget it. But today there's apps on your phone, I get one, that reminds you every single day to count the Omer, it has the bracha, and it even has a beautiful thing telling you what the day is about. So today is actually Tiferet Begevura, which is beauty and strength. And it's about finding balance between the two. And the example that they give is, you know, the, the heavens are made of fire and water, shamayim, okay? And fire and water obviously is in perfect balance. We, we obviously can't understand that in physical terms, but the idea is that it's a perfect balance to have been able to create the, the heavens, the fire and the water. And so finding our own balance, our inner balance, they once quoted the Joni Mitchell song, 50-50, fire and ice, right? Being able to walk the line between the two, being balanced in our relationships with others, not allowing other people to move us out of our equilibrium, right? Uh, a specific um, emphasis on judging others favorably today, on looking for the benefit of the doubt, these are all part of Tiferet Begevura and giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt, okay? Not beating ourselves up, but realizing that um, our response is just to get up again and try again, right? Keep on climbing that mountain. So another thing I came across, which is interesting, is uh, in the paper yesterday, it said, one upside of the pandemic, it's making people kinder. <laughs> so, you know, whenever there's uh, some kind of, you know, um, upset, right, whether it's in a certain country by itself or in the whole world, there is a tendency for people to band together. We also see the other opposite extreme, right, when everybody was grabbing everything at the beginning of the virus and worrying about me, me, me. But we know even in Israel, right, it's a common thing that whenever there's terrible or disruptive things happening in Israel, that's when the Jewish people more than ever band together. So they're seeing that also in the world. I'll just read you a little bit of it. It says, a survey, survey by Travel Lodge in Britain has found that during the past year, people have donated more to charities and been nicer to each other. This despite the economic unpredictability and fear wrought by a global pandemic. UCLA researchers have already discovered that kindness can alter the behavior of genes, toning down inflammation that leads to heart disease and some cancers. Being kind lowers blood pressure and lessens depression and can also promote the activity of genes that protect against infections. Okay, there's more, um, but it says kindness is exponential that when a third party sees somebody doing an act of kindness, it naturally makes them want to do something kind as well. And there have been all kinds of different examples of the way people have been helping each other. 
And it basically ends saying that last spring, a friend said the pandemic would make people kinder. I was skeptical. Science has since turned my doubt into belief. So as much as they've done these scientific studies to prove that kindness is a good thing, I think we all know that. You know, as Jews, we teach our philosophy is that the world was built on kindness, that Avraham, who was the founder of our religion, the beginning of religion, understood and came to an understanding of God by looking around the world and recognizing that it is built on the kindness of the creator and his giving, his flowing, his giving. And so when we practice kindness, we're simply, we're simply exercising our tselem elokim, our divine image. And so it's intrinsic to human beings, every human being, to practice chesed and to do chesed. But of course, again, there's what I hate that expression, random acts of kindness, because really I think it's not about random acts of kindness. You know, when the spirit moves me, then I do something good. It's about purposeful acts of kindness. It's about recognizing that when you're performing an act of kindness, you're doing a mitzvah, you're connecting yourself to Hashem, even when you don't feel like it and you do it, maybe it's worth even more, okay? Probably it's worth even more, even when you're struggling to want to do it and you don't get to do it. Even that in God's eyes is worth something great. So we've dissected chesed, you know, in many, many ways, but chesed is certainly a very important part. Chesed, just to, to go back to it, is the desire to have a positive effect on the world, on yourself and on other people. And it affects, obviously, your relationship to Hashem and to the world around you. Um, okay, we'll talk more about that. And we're going to go back to our topic. Actually, you know what? I want to do one more thing. I I've been reading uh, Rav Noach Weinberg's biographies, Zecher Tzadik Vivracha. Rav Noach, as many of you know, who are here through the village shul, started Asha Torah. And I have a lot of gratitude towards him because if not for Asha Torah and his wife beginning a little school of her own, who knows? I may still be wandering the earth trying to figure out what my purpose in life is and what, what it's all about. So thank God. And you know, when I was reading the book over Pesach again, it was just stirring me, of course, to want to change the world and do something great. But, you know, I, I settled down a little bit and I decided, well, one of the things that we could do is talk a little bit about the six constant mitzvot at the beginning of this class. And the six constant mitzvot are a foundation of Judaism that Rav Noach was very, very strong about teaching, not just obviously to Balei Tshuva, but to everybody, because the mitzvot, the six constant mitzvot are mitzvot that take place in the mind. They're about what you think as you go through your day, your God consciousness, your awareness. And it was something that he worked on all his life. And the idea is, is that sometimes we get caught up in the mitzvot or the learning of Torah and we forget what it's all about. And this happens, of course, with the frumest of the frum, with the most religious people, right? 
we become good robots, is how Reb Noah used to put it, you know, or zombies even. But the mind isn't engaged and the heart isn't engaged the way it needs to be on the level that it needs to be. So just a little bit about the six constant mitzvot. I'm not even going to tell you what they are today. This is an introduction, but they're the foundation of emuna, of belief. And we know that when the Jewish people left Egypt and before they left Egypt, one of the things that we learn is that they really had lost their emuna, their belief in God, their trust in God. And when we leave Egypt, if you look at what happens between the time we leave Egypt until we actually get to Mount Sinai, all of the twists and turns and the complaining that the Jewish people do, we want to go back to Egypt. It was so much better there. You know, Moses, you took us out to this desert to kill us. And, you know, we all say, we all ask ourselves, we're all scratching our heads saying, you know, I wouldn't be like that if I was in the desert. I mean, they just saw 10 plagues. They just saw Egypt die at the Red Sea. They saw, they saw all of these incredible miracles. How could they go right back? to having no emuna, to complaining, you know, they don't have water for a few days. Listen, it's a real, it's a real worry. You know, they have no food, the matzah's running out to feed their children, and they panic. And we know that they panicked even when Moses went up to get the Torah. So the question is why? And the idea is, again, this is human nature. When the Jewish people left Egypt, they were like infants in terms of their spiritual development. And they say that the time through the desert was like, it was adolescence, you know, infancy going through adolescence. And after we got the Torah, right, we still had to stay in the desert. It was a training program where God was trying to teach us to have emuna and tachon. And of course, it's just a diary of our successes and our failures. And of course, every time the Jewish people would suddenly get water from a rock or the man, the manna from heaven would fall. Of course, they'd come back to their senses and say, oh my goodness, what was wrong? We were panicked, we were anxious. And they'd relearn the lessons again of Emun and Bitachon. Every time they, they didn't learn Torah, which they were already given some of the mitzvot in the desert, when they stopped learning it, so things stopped coming to them physically and materially. And God was teaching them that your material sustenance is also based on your spiritual discipline and your spiritual growth. So there were so many lessons that were being taught. And the point is, is that um, emuna is the foundation. The mitzvot, all of the mitzvot are meant to instill within us emuna. Okay. Now, another idea, human beings are not static. Sorry. Yeah. Human beings are not static. We are always changing. We are always either spiritually speaking, we say there's no such thing as standing still. You're either moving up or you're moving down. You know, it reminds me of when I was a kid, right? You all did this, right? When you, you went, you tried to go up the down escalator right? You know, that's always fun, right? You run up the down escalator, and you know that the minute you stop running up that down escalator, well, right? What happens? So, you know, it's a great par parallel for spiritual growth. 
It's like, we're always running against the wind, like that song says, right? Or, you know, one of the questions they ask, how do you know a fish is alive? Well, you, a fish is alive when it's swimming against the stream. When it's swimming upstream, a dead fish goes with the flow, right? So spiritual growth is like that, that escalator that's going down. You've got to keep moving. Otherwise, it just takes you down. And there's no standing still. Animals, they are what they are. They're not going to change, you know? The giraffes don't get together one day and say, you know, I think we should make a home for the aged. The aged giraffes, we see some giraffes. Are, you know, they're not changing. They do what they do. It's instinct, right? And the truth is, is angels also don't change. Angels are static. Each angel has a job. That's what it does. And it doesn't change itself. It can't even take a different angel's job. It can't say, you know, I like your job better. Maybe I could, you know, prove myself. You know, maybe I could get a, get a raise. I could move up in the company of angels, right? No, whatever you are, that's where you are. And that's why human beings are considered so incredible. That's what Selim Elohim means, that we were created in God's image, that we can change. We are not static. We are constantly changing, whether willfully or just by virtue of inertia, just by being on that escalator and not working enough, not moving. Okay, and, and the subject of Zrizus, right? Alacrity, which is what we're going to go back to eventually. This is what it's all about, is having that in your spiritual growth, in your desire for spiritual growth, in your mitzvot, that alacrity, that, that excitement, that enthusiasm, that get up and go, that sense of purpose. Okay, another idea. On the sixth day of creation, when man was created, it says God saw that it was very good, right? The first time of all the six days that after man is created, he says, tov me'od. And for those of you who know your Hebrew, the word me'od, mem aleph dalet, spells the word adam, man. And the rabbis teach us this is what God was referring to, that this creation of man is very good. Now, what does the word very mean? Does very mean a foot? Does very mean a, a yard? The idea of the word very is it's limitless. When something is very something, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's not confined to a measurement. Okay? So that's what makes man unique. Now, it's through the mitzvot, both the positive and the negative ones, that we're able to reach our capability to grow. Right? We have 248 positive mitzvot. We have 365 negative mitzvot. Together, they make 613. But the idea here is that the sum is greater than, what's that, what's that expression? The sum is greater than the parts, right? Some people look at Judaism as a set of mitzvot. I have to do this. I can't do that. And they're missing that it's more than the mitzvot, the essence, the purpose, so the Vilna Gaon says the 613 mitzvot are like the roots of a tree. But from these roots grow the trunk, the branches, the twigs, the leaves, and the fruits. 
And the idea here is what he's saying is that Torah is not just the mitzvot. It's more than that. Even when one isn't doing one of the 613 mitzvot, right? Even when you're not doing it, your way of being is informed by an emanation of God, right? Every activity of your life should be sort of the way, you know, a rooster gets up in the morning and crows and is basically singing Shira to God. You know, I'm up, I'm here, I'm awake, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, right? So every Jew, as they go through their day, it's as if we're singing Shira and other people around us and everybody recognizes that our life is an emanation of God's will. And it's not specifically a mitzvah that we're doing, right? One of the 613. And the truth is, is during the first temple time, people were scrupulous in their mitzvot and they were studying Torah. And yet the temple was destroyed because the spirit of the law was missing. They were good robots. So the idea here is that there are many things that are not under the rubric of the law, but are still the will of God, meaning it's still the way he wants us to behave. And the example that we give is the book of Bereshi. The book of Bereshi is a bunch of stories. They, rabbis even ask, why did God begin the Torah with this whole book about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his kids, and what they did right, and what they did wrong, and all this family feuding. What for? If this is a, if this is a religion based on mitzvah, just start with the first mitzvah. Tell us what to do. But the idea is, is that this book, which is called Sefer Hayashar, depicts the conduct of the patriarchs, and even their servants, right? Abraham's servant Eliezer, we're supposed to learn from to demonstrate to us how God wants us to behave. There's hardly any formal commandments in the book of Bereshi. There's very few, but we learn how to act from the people in that book or how not to act. Okay, so that's just our introduction to the six constant mitzvot. Let me know if you like that and you wanna continue with that. But even if we do just a little bit every day, every time we meet, I feel that we're giving uh, Rav Noach Weinberg Zatzal some hana, some pleasure in the next world, because if he th felt this was important for all Jews to know, then I certainly uh, concur that it probably, or it, it, it definitely is. Okay, let's go back to our topic called Zrizus. Even the word Zrizus in Hebrew, it sounds like, you know, get up and go, right? It's a weird word, but in English, it's called alacrity. And very few people use that word in English. Um, and what is it? So the idea here is we usually associate Zrizus with someone who is energetic, fast, and efficient. But what we're going to do today is we're going to have a wider definition of what alacrity is, because not everyone is like this, right? I don't know, you know, we all have a kid who moves slowly, right? It's the kid in the morning that, you know, you're going crazy trying to get them out of the house, right? <laughs> like, just move, just get going. Why are you so slow, right? So going back to our idea of Homer and Sura, right? This is our foundation for all of the Midot. Some people are born quick. 
right? They can make, you know, I always say when Mashiach comes, there's going to be a game show. You know, I can make Shabbos in 23 minutes, all three meals, okay? Friday night, Shabbos lunch, and Shalashudas, and a, a shmorg, right? Let's see, go, right? I mean, I would enjoy that contest. That would be very fun. I'm fast, generally speaking, when it comes to that. Um, now, maybe I'm not such a good bake because bakers need to be much more, you know, those kind of us kind of people, we like cooking better than baking. Baking, you have to be more like a surgic surgeon, right? Um, but <laughs> the point is, is some of us are faster and some of us are slower. Some of us are more methodical. Some of us move more slowly. Some of our brains work slow, more slowly, which does not mean that you're not equally intelligent to the person whose brain is working very quickly and making them move very quickly. Um, so some of us, again, are naturally speedy and others move more slowly. And these are God-given character traits. This is called our homer. Now, I'll give you an example. Again, we said with Simcha, some people are just born, if you want to say, with more serotonin pulsing through their brain through their body than others. They're just naturally happy. They're just naturally bouncy and okay. And other people suffer with sadness, with feeling of loneliness, the earthiness part of themselves drags them down. And each one of us is given our chalik, our portion. It's not something that we chose, but we can work on ourselves. And that's what we call tsura. So even simcha, even a happy person can make their happiness more spiritual. In other words, they can try to find simcha even in a battle of, with themselves of wanting to do the right thing and succeeding, right? Overcoming a certain inclination in a different area of their life and finding simcha in a more spiritual way. So even our natural assets we want to bring them to up to a more spiritual um, consciousness level and deepen them and make them higher. Okay, so, so what do you do if you're not naturally quick? Because Rezus implies a quickness. It does imply, it is part of the mitzvah to be quick, to have get up and go. You know, I always used to joke that my bubby, God bless her, who lived till 101, my mother's mother, you know, I, I think I once gave a speech at her 100th birthday. She actually lost a bet at her 100th birthday. She had to pay my great aunt $10 because my great aunt said, you're going to live till 100. And my bubby kept saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. So one of the things at the party was my bubby pay handing over the $10 to my great aunt saying, yo, boy, I lost. But, you know, I, I said, why did, why, but why is bubby living so long? You know why? Because when something falls on the floor, she's always the first one to pick it up, right? She's down there before anybody else who's half her age picking up that thing that fell on the floor. She had Zrizus. And maybe that's one of the secrets to long life. But so we think of it as being quick. But this is the part that isn't normally thought of. Sometimes being quick works against you. And we all know how that could be, right? When you're too quick, especially when you're too quick to talk, instead of holding yourself back or thinking it through, it's not such a great thing. 
So Zrizus being quick in terms of being quick can be a good thing, but it can also be a negative. So there's more to Zrizus than just speed. Now the Sifsei Chaim, based on the Gemara and Eruvim Chaf Gimel, talks about the Kohanim. The Kohanim had a natural mida of Zrizut, of get up and go. And this was part of their job description. The avoda, the, the service that was part of being in the temple, required tremendous energy and speed. Okay, they were busy with the korbano, with the sacrifices. Everything was needed energy and speed. And the idea of zrizot is to overcome one's natural laziness and negligence. Overcoming natural laziness and negligence. It's being observant and vigilant with maximum attentiveness and paying attention to all the dangers and obstacles, whether physical or spiritual or both, that come with the nature of the world. Okay. If you want, I can, I can, I can somebody wants to write that out for anybody who wants that um, definition, but we're going to come back to it anyways. So again, it's about overcoming the natural laziness that the human being possesses. We've talked about this and we're going to talk more about how we're composed of the four elements and that earthy part of us, of course, is certainly uh, corresponds to the lazy uh, part of us, the part of us that doesn't want to move. Okay. So one of the results of Zrizus is definitely going to be speed. It's going to be speed and getting things done. It's one manifestation. Okay. But in general, what Zrizus is, it's taking in a situation, or as Rabbi Palm says, it's thinking slowly and then doing it quickly. It's taking in the situation and then doing it well. Now, sometimes Zrizut can be anti-speed because you have to do things at times that are careful and not quick. You know, it's like when I was making chocolate mousse before Pesach and I was separating the egg whites and my cleaning lady was hovering around. I said, don't talk to me now, please, okay? I am concentrating because, you know, if you get one little bit of yellow in there, it's over. The game is over, right? Those egg whites are not getting firm. And then there's the little pieces of eggshell, right? That you have to get out of there too, because that doesn't work either. So there's an example where Zrizut is not necessarily doing it quickly, but being very attentive and slowing down to do the job right, okay? So it's about caring what you do. There's another, another definition. It's about caring what you do. Now, this is an interesting example that's brought down. Um, so the Jewish people, as you know, were slaves in Egypt. And later on, when we're in the, temp in the desert, we have to build the Mishkan. The Mishkan was basically a portable shul that we traveled with, that we assembled and disassembled, and that the Jews literally designed and built and made themselves. And there was a lot of fine motor 
um, work involved in the tapestries and the different things that required that. And it says that the generation who came out of Egypt are the ones who built it. And it talks about how the work that they had to do as slaves was crude and heavy. They didn't need fine motor skills. But it says about that generation, their door, their generation, this generation was efficient in their hand because they were efficient in their heart. Again, they were efficient with their hands because they were efficient in their heart. What does that mean? So the idea is, is that when we are committed and interested in what we're doing, it comes out better than how we thought it would. You know, maybe for those of you like myself who aren't natural bakes, you know, but you decide you really want to make a beautiful birthday cake for your grandchild or for somebody that you love or your good friend, right? And you want it to be really great. And it's not your natural forte, but you're putting in a lot of time and energy and interest and really wanting it to happen. So the idea is, is that you're going to have more success when you just decide that it's something you're going to do. So where does speed come in Zriza? If we're talking about now, you know, sort of slowing down. So back to our Pesach analogy, right? The theme of Pesach we talked about before uh, the holiday is was was time, right? That the difference between matzah and chametz is just a matter of time, right? You leave flour and water for more than 18 minutes in a bowl and it's going to naturally start to fo foment and rise, okay? So the matzah has to be made with speed and attentiveness and care. in order for it not to turn into chametz. And we said that the word matzot is the same as the letters of mitzvot. That the Torah, the rabbis are telling us that the same way that if you leave matzah and you don't take care of things right away, it turns into chametz. It goes from being a potential mitzvah to actually being the opposite, right? So too with our mitzvot, when we do them right away, when we do them with energy and eagerness, we don't procrastinate right? Or somebody asking us to do something for them or a chesed that, you know, somebody needs from us. Okay, I'll get around to it eventually. But when we do it right away, it's a different mitzvah. It's a different act. It, it rises to a higher level of the metaphysical. And so we have to ask ourselves, how can I make zrizut more accessible to me? Where do I have it in my life and where do I not have it? Which things in my life right now excite me that it's not even a question that I'm getting up and going and I'm doing this? And which areas do I sort of roll my eyes, whether it's internally or at the person themselves, right? And say, ah, I don't have energy for that. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. Because chesed is about pushing through a lot of times. And beneath that chesed is the need to have zrizut, right? First of all, to have the clarity of knowing this is important, this should interest me. And with the interest will come the movement. Okay, Rav Volbe, who I quote very often in these Musar Vadim because he was a great 
Musar master of our generation. He himself was a Balchuva. I don't know a lot about him. I think he was a professor in Berlin or in, 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 uh, in Europe and very, very uh, a professor perhaps of philosophy. You know what, I'll look into it. But I know that he became a Balchuva and his son now continues his teachings in Israel. And he says, no person has a monopoly on Zrizut. We all have areas where we're energized and interested and places where we're not. My mother used to like to say, and I always disagreed with her, but maybe she was right. My mother was an artist and she painted a lot throughout her life and even more so at the end of her life. And she, and actually I had an acting teacher that used to say the same thing. He would say, talent is very little of it. There's a lot of talented people and he would point to the graveyard and say, and that's where they are. And they didn't do anything with it. My mother would always say, it's, I don't know if she said, you know, it's, it's 50%, it's a 40% talent and 60% interest, desire, rutsom, wanting it, working at it, developing it. Okay, there are people who have natural talent, it's true, but if they're not interested in developing it and doing some of the work that's involved, it doesn't get them anywhere. And sometimes it's people with less talent who have more interest and more desire that are the ones who become great. So this is the idea that Zrizut has to do with interest, right? And every one of us, we have areas of our lives, even of mitzvot, that naturally call to us, right? There are people who are chesed people. They love to do chesed. They're always looking for ways to help other people. It's natural to them. They were born that way, right? But gavura is much tougher for them to restrain themselves, to know when to give and when to hold back, to be able to say no. Some people like certain parts of Torah and they don't like learning other parts, right? A lot of people love learning machshava and character development, right? Philosophy and thought. But when it comes to a class on halacha, which is equally as important, if not more, the do's and the don'ts and how to do it and how to keep it and what to do, they're not interested, right? It's dry. It's, it's, it's details. It, it doesn't call to me. So we know that we have parts of us that are naturally going in a certain way, but God wants us to be balanced. Again, back to this tiferet begevura. It takes gevura. It takes strength and restraint and, sorry, not restraint, but strength to go down those roads in areas that are not your natural comfort zone and develop yourself in those places, you know, and say, okay, if I do one thing that I learned from halacha, I do one little thing differently, it's good, it's enough. I start saying a bracha on, you know, one type of food, only fruit. From now on, whenever I eat a fruit, I'm going to ask myself, does it grow from a tree? Does it grow from the ground? And I'm not going to put it in my mouth. It's going to be part of my consciousness, maybe even good for dieting. I always say it's maybe God was thinking of, think before you put that in your mouth, right? Do you really want to say a shehakol on that horrible chocolate bar that's going to put you up another couple pounds? 
right? Are you going to say that, Bracha? You really want that, right? It makes you pause. It's got a lot of benefits. I'm sure when the non-Jewish world finds out about it, you know, they'll start saying, this is what you need to do to diet. Think about the food before you put it in your mouth. Where does it come from? Does God want me to eat this? Am I in control or is the food in control? Right? So halacha also develops us. Develops us in ways that we can't even imagine, but we don't naturally go there. We like the nice ideas. We like the inspiration. But to really grow again, sometimes halacha is a lot easier than changing your personality, right? Than changing your bad character traits. Like a Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said, you know, it's easier to learn the entire Gemara than it is to change one character trait. So often it's good to have these practical things that we do, right? Saying a bracha, doing some kind of something that's connected to the mitzvot, that's a do or a don't, in order to grow ourselves in a very real way. Okay. So, okay, the Mishnah talks about the Jews when they came up to do the Korban Pesach. Everybody knows before we left Egypt, we had to shecht a lamb. And it says there, very interesting, that the women arrived first before the men. Well, the women were probably in the kitchen getting the lamb ready. No, just kidding. Um, the, women, the women were there first. And it says about that, that women had zrizot. Women had a natural get up and go, right? Zealousness. And the men, it says, had shiflut. Now, shiflut is the opposite of zrizot. Shefela, the word shefela is a valley. So shiflut means low energy, complacency, apathy, despair, and laziness. So Revolbeck goes on to tell us that everyone has in their character traits aspects of zrizut and aspects of the opposite, shiflut. So the question that one needs to ask themselves if they want to really know who you are, right? Know thyself. I think Descartes said that. Know thyself is where do I have areas where I'm low energy? I don't want to do it. And this can be physiological sometimes, the shiftlet right? It can be physiological. It can be emotional. It could be that even at different stages of our life, there's different areas of our life that interest us more and then interest us less. It can be based again on physiological changes. But the point is, is that to get to know ourselves, we have to focus on the areas of strength, the things that we naturally do, our natural interests, our natural inclinations, and then focus on the weaknesses. You know, where am I not interested in Torah? Where am I not interested in changing? Where do I not want to push myself? So where do I need to infuse more zrizut, more energy? Maybe it's a certain relationship that's kind of, I don't pay enough attention to. Maybe it's in a certain mitzvah. Okay. 
Now, shiftless can manifest itself in very subtle areas. So I'm just going to give you a couple before we end. So number one, so sometimes a low self-image is a form of shiftless, right? Again, the word shvela is a valley. It connotes the idea of, because the person of low self-image is basically saying, I'm not important, right? That's the words that are going... I, 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 I can't contribute. I have nothing to contribute. And when a person is stuck in this kind of place, it's basically an excuse, right? My Robinson used to say, depression is an excuse for living. It's like saying, I don't have to be, get out there. I don't have to fight the fight. I don't have to do that. I'm just giving up. It's a type of giving up, Right. Now, of course, there's lots of people who have, you know, different physiological things going on, but even sometimes our thoughts can create physiological changes. Like it said in this Chesed article, right, that kindness actually does things to your body. It like prevents diseases, right? We know that anger can create disease. So it's all connected. It's all holistic. So when a person has shiftlet, a low self-image, it excuses them from, you know, I don't have anything to contribute. Excuses you from maximizing your potential. And then there's the opposite, which is really interesting. People who set goals that are too high to achieve. Now, why would somebody do that? This, this Rav Volba says, is also a form of shiftlet. Right? It's counterintuitive. Why? Because... They say, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to climb this mountain. I'm going to learn all of the 48 ways to wisdom in one day. I'm going to whatever it is. And they know they can't. They know they never will. So they know that if they create these goals that are too high, they can just throw in the towel and say, forget it. And, you know, this dejection or this feeling of failure or, you know, I didn't do it is really created by the fact that they create these goals that are much too difficult to reach. Okay, interesting. She says that perfectionists also have this tendency, right? Perfectionism is the idea that if I can't do it 100%, I'm not doing it at all. So Robinson Dina Schoonmaker gives an example of a woman who like, is the most incredible entertainer. Like if you're invited to her house for Shabbos, like, wow, you are wined and dined and treated, you know, and it, everything is perfect. But she only does it once every few years because she can't do it every week. It's too much because her, her perfectionism, her expectation, right? I once read something that said, and, I, and it really helps me. Like if somebody asks you, can I come over for Shabbos? Can I sleep over? Can I this? It says, if your bedrooms were good enough for your kids to sleep in, your guests can sleep there too, <laughs> right? And it just kind of like reminds you, they don't care. They need a place to sleep. They need a meal. Like get over yourself, right? You know, like, and then I was thinking of this book, All for the Boss, okay? It's, it's an incredible book. But this guy used to take, not only did his kids have to move out of their beds when they had guests, but if there weren't enough beds, he used to take doors off of the door hinges and like lie them down and use them for beds, okay? I mean, <laughs> yes. So, you know, we get so caught up, you know, like 
oh, I can't have gas. You know, anyway, the point is, is because of it, we, we get stuck. We lose this resource. We miss the point. We miss the, the, the mitzvah through the trees, the whatever it is. Like, no, I don't care where I sleep. I don't care what I eat. I'm hungry. You know, I know, but I, I've got to, I've got to do it my way. It's got to be perfect, right? Okay, so that's a blend. That's the blend of somebody who has Zriza, but they also have Shifla together. Okay, so they, they want to do it. And when they do it, it's incredible. But then they have this other piece, this Shifla, right? That really is caused by their own perfectionism that says, oh, oh, no, you can't do that. No, you can't because you always reach for here. And if you're gonna reach for any less than that, you are a failure. You are a loser. You didn't make it. You disappointed yourself. And boy, when we do that, obviously we miss the whole point of the mitzvah. We miss the whole point of everything. Okay, I'm gonna stop there.